Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lancaster Safety's Workplace Safety Podcast. My name is Sarge, and here on the WSP, we will focus on common health and safety issues found in the workplace. We'll also discuss the ins and outs of what it takes to be, as well as stay compliant with OSHA's ever-changing policies. Throughout the series, we'll also be joined by a variety of health and safety professionals from across the nation to discuss various types of health and safety standards and how they could potentially apply to your workforce. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lancaster Safety's Workplace Safety Podcast. I'm joined by Andy. We're going to cover Series 2, Hazardous Materials and What You Need to Know, Part 3, Safe Chemical Handling. Andy's joining us from uh, Just Right Safety and Eagle Manufacturing. Andy, thank you so much for being on the show again. Thanks, Sarge. I'm really excited to be back. I'm really enjoying these sessions that we have here. I really think that we're bringing a lot of really impactful stuff to listeners, and uh, me too. I'm, I think this is going to be another great podcast that people are going to really appreciate and enjoy. Um, Andy, how have you been since we last talked? Anything new and exciting going on? Very good. They let me out traveling, so I'm visiting facilities and working with end users and distributors trying to get that safety message out. So I'm enjoying life now. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Love to hear that. Love to hear that. Well, here, let's jump right into uh, safe chemical handling. Our first question today is, why is it so important to safely handle chemicals? Well, Sarge, you know, we use so many different chemicals in the workplace. Um, You know, it's just naturally we have to be careful. We need, you know, we need them to produce our products, to do our jobs. But often these chemicals can be hazardous to health and to our safety unless we take proper precautions when handling them. And today, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about the steps that we can take to handle the chemicals uh, that you work with safely uh, in order to prevent accidents, injuries, and illnesses. Excellent, excellent. Can you tell me a little bit more about what agency and regulations uh, that cover these hazardous materials? Sure, you know, these, uh, because the hazardous properties of many uh, materials can affect the safety and health of all of us who interact with them and meet with them, the government regulates the use of these materials throughout our country. Uh, The Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, regulates the use of hazardous materials in the workplace to protect the safety and health of, you know, you, me, the co-workers, and other workers across America. And then we have the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, and they regulate the hazardous materials and hazardous wastes uh, to protect the environment. And then lastly, the main, you know, big uh, agency is the Department of Transportation, the DOT. And they regulate, you know, the transportation of hazardous materials throughout the United States, whether it's the road, rail, air, or waterways. So those are the big three. Excellent, excellent. Where does OSHA's hazardous communication standard come into play when handling chemicals? This is really important. um, And it's also one of the top 10 every single year on OSHA's list of most uh, violations found. So over the top 10, yes. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely in there all the time. And and there's good reason for it. Um, One of the most important regulations regarding the control of a chemicals hazards in the workplace is, is like you said, OSHA's hazard communication standard. This regulation says that basically you have the right to know about the chemicals used in your workplace, how these chemicals can be hazardous, and how to handle these chemicals safely to protect yourself from hazards. Mm-hmm. And that's important. You need to know those things when you're on a job site or doing anything around the house. 
When dealing with hazardous chemicals, what are some protective measures that can be safely implemented? Well, when working with chemicals, the most important thing you can do is protect yourself and the people working for you. Mm -hmm. So that means, you know, you have to understand a chemical, what it is before anyone uses it. You know, you have to know, become familiar with the physical and health hazards. Number two, the container labels uh, that are, should be on them will provide a brief information on any hazards uh, and the necessary protective measures. And then for the detailed information, the very you know, uh, important uh, stuff that you're going to have to form a lot of what you're going to do with that chemical comes from the safety data sheet uh, mm. for the substances that you're using. What are other potential hazards that you should be aware of when dealing with chemicals? Well, this is, these are big ones, uh, okay. especially as a past first responder and the things I've seen in the field is in the hazardous material uh, incidences is, in addition to the physical and health hazards that we've already discussed, there are uh, other hazards that you may encounter and that are dangerous to life and property in the workplace. And I'll give you a couple examples. Asphyxiation or asphyxia. Mm -hmm. It's a condition where there is not enough oxygen in the air to breathe normally, you know, leading to suffocation. Uh, simple asphyxiant is a chemical that displaces oxygen in the air and causes rapid suffocation. Uh, pure nitrogen is an example of an asphyxiant. And where you see that a lot is I'll see chemical canisters or uh, gas cylinders and they'll say, oh, you don't have to worry about that. It's just nitrogen or it's just, you know, this or that. But the problem is if you put enough of that um, in a, even if it's an inert gas in a room, it pushes out all the oxygen. So asphyxia is a very uh, big concern when you're dealing with chemicals. Okay. And then you have things on the other end of the spectrum, Sarge, that's, you know, pyrophoric gas. It's pretty rare, but I have come across it. You know, and that's a chemical that catches fire spontaneously if exposed to air. Oh. So, you know, our, our people listening to the podcast, you know, just really probably most of the chemical manufacturers uh, would run into that and very, very select few because that's a pretty nasty uh, agent and it has, you know, limited uses, which then means it's going to be limitedly product, uh, produced, but right. it is a concern. I mean, there's nothing worth, if you consider that, you know, a chemical catches air as soon as it gets left out of its container. Yeah, it's, it's stuff of nightmares right there, my friend, stuff of nightmares. Right, exactly. <laughs> and then you have combustible dust, which, you know, a lot of us, um, it's, a chem it's a chemical in a dust form that may form explosive concentrations of dust in the air. Okay. You know, in some cases, a chemical is shipped in a form that is not yet dust, but under normal conditions or use or processing, it forms a combustible dust. You know, a lot of us think about grain silos, right? right. You know, when I was, before I got into this business, I'm like, how could, how could dust explode, right? It kind of, it's mind boggling. It, it uh, happens all the time, but it's not just in grain silos. I mean, I go into production manufacturing facilities and they're using simple powders, but there's such a concentration in the air. A lot of times I'm like, oh boy, let's, let's step out of here. You know, it's, it can be very bad in, in, in all sorts of areas if you let the dust get away from you. Absolutely. And then, and then lastly, this is kind of a more vague. It's, you know, hazards not otherwise classified. And this represents a chemical that may have hazardous physical or health effects, but the specific effects have not been identified yet uh, under hazard classifications, which is really scary, meaning that you know, almost anything, it's bad, we know it, but it's not really classified yet. So again, those are more rare, but things we should be aware of. Right, right, right. 
So now that we've discussed the hazards to be aware of, uh, where can we look to find this information? So the chemical label is the first stop. Um, to find out what specific hazards the chemicals are, you, you, have to, you have three excellent sources of information available to you. First, the labels. The labels on a container will generally give you an idea of what's going on, the basic precautions that you need to take uh, and keep safe when handling that chemical. And then for more complete information about a chemical, you turn to the safety data sheet. The hazard communication standard requires us to have an SDS for every hazardous chemical in the workplace. The SDS gives you detailed information about a chemical's properties, safety and health hazards, handling precautions, and the required uh, personal protective equipment or PPE used to handle that. And then lastly, the third source of accurate information about a chemical's hazard is, is your supervisor. You know, anytime a lot of workers are out there doing common things with what they think are common chemicals, but a lot of times that's not true. So anytime, I, I would urge our listeners, anytime you have a question about a chemical hazard, um, you know, unless you're 100% sure you know what you're doing, and get your supervisor involved. That's, that's great inform that's great suggestion and uh, very powerful. Is it common for people that have containers of, uh, or to have, for people to have containers of chemicals from projects in their garage and home? Uh, can you tell me a little more about the importance of having a secondary container, container lab label, <laughs> container label? If I could speak, we'd be doing so much better, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what you're, what you're saying is so true. And one of the most common, you know, low-hanging fruits that OSHA will get you on. So think about when you're walking through a facility and you'll see, you know, a spray bottle that's being filled. We probably even do this in your home, like my right. wife does. You'll fill your uh, spray bottle that you get from, you know, Home Depot or whatever, and you're filling it with Windex again. Well, that individual spray bottle better have a label saying what's on it. And this is where you get a lot of problems. Um, and a lot of accidents actually happen this way because people think that, oh, it's just water and it'll spray it and it might be flammable or something else bad. So... The secondary container labels are containers that chemicals are transferred into from primary containers. The secondary containers provide you with just enough of a chemical to do a job. Now, they are not meant for chemical storage. Uh, for example, the housekeeping folks at a facility will you know, uh, typically fill their spray bottles, they'll go out and do their things, and then they'll put it back in storage. So OSHA will allow you to do that, but only if it's properly labeled. They, um, secondary container labels only need to provide limited information about a chemical, but enough so that you can trace the chemical back to the original container or, or an SDS for additional hazard and protection information. As again, I said, this is one of the most common things I see when I walk through a facility, uh, a lack of, uh, of a label saying what it is. And you should always make sure that that secondary containers are labeled with at least the name of a chemical and appropriate hazard warning and also a side note is that the secondary containers must be appropriate for the job in a chemical. And I see, you know, old milk bottles, for example, or coffee cans, you know, carrying the secondary container. And it's just, it has to be, you know, makes sense for what you're doing. Uh, also, this is something else is that I often see people write, oh, I got a blank label on there. And they'll write on there with a, a pen or a pencil. And by the time we get there, there's a label, sure but you can't read at all what it is, or even worse, they'll, they'll use a Sharpie thinking, oh yeah, it's permanent, but the chemical in there has a tendency to erase the ink from a Sharpie. So that's how a lot of 
uh, OSHA violations happen. People will try to do the right thing sometimes, but the labels are un unreadable, unreadable. So you have to have a chemically resistant chem you know, label and it has to be uh, you know, seeing no matter what time I'm coming into your building, I have to know what, what's in that chemical. Absolutely. A uh, long time ago, way, way back when, I actually used to work uh, at a gas station, funny enough, and secondary contains, like just that conversation, we, how many times people would bring anything other than a gas can to fill up with gas? And we're like, no, you cannot do that. Yeah, um, it's crazy. Yeah, they want to argue with you, but hey, yeah, it's, it's so important to make sure that you have an appropriate container, it's properly labeled, and it's, you know, it's going to do the job right, and it's not going to cause any more issues than trying to be just a quick fix for what you're trying to get done, right? All right, so what is a SDS, and why is it so important to companies to keep them up to date? Well, First, I want, to, I want to cover the SDS versus MSDS. So some of the older uh, folks in our, in our audience, you know, they remember MSDS, right? And then all of a sudden it kind of shifted to SDS. Well, the SDS is supposedly it gradually replaced the material safety data sheet. That's the MSDS that we're, you know, a lot of us are familiar with. And they switched to the SDS. And the SDS was brought up because of the uh, GHS, the Global Harmonization Compliant it's composed of 16 sections in a required sequence, meaning no matter where you're at now, hopefully in the world, you'll be able to pull an SDS and it'll have the 16 sections, they'll be in the same sequence no matter where you're at. Um, and that information it presents, uh, it's a little bit more complete than the old uh, MSDSs and, and it's better organized. And I'll give you an example why. As a paramedic, I've gone to a lot of different calls and some of them in, in, in uh, industrial settings where I'll be dram I'll dramatize her, but the guy's like foaming at the mouse, right? And you're like, well, what happened to this guy? And everybody's like, well, we don't know, we don't know. And there's some chemicals spilled out. And it's like, well, we don't know what this chemical is. So those places that have the SDS right there, as a paramedic, I'd look at it and go, okay, we can't give this drug because it's you know counterindicative of, of doing that. So, I mean, it's really important to have those SDSs uh, materials present like right away. Uh, so, so medical care can be, you know, the correct medical care can, can happen. Right. And when, when something like that's happening, seconds are, are, are vital, absolutely vital. Absolutely. And then, you know what, let me add on to what you just said about the seconds. This is another field from when I was a, when I was a first responder. So the thing will happen and this is so common Right when they start switching from SDS to MSDS, they came, you know, MSDS are these big yellow books that you guys would see, and you'd probably still see them, but there's covers of dust over them. And they switched to like uh, CDs or software companies just back then started to harp their wares saying, hey, we can have this electronically. And that's all good stuff, but the problem is this. I would hear, oh yeah, the SDS sheet, it's in our safety manager's office, which is in building three that you passed in, you know, a half a mile from here. Or, oh yeah, the supervisor has that disc he, he, because they're really expensive. So he keeps them in his office and he's on vacation and the office door is locked, right? So you're like, okay, great. You have the information, but it's useless because I don't have it. Right. So it, it really inhibits the seconds that you mentioned. I got to tell you, as a paramedic, it's super important. It can mean the difference of, of death or, or permanent uh, you know, disability. So very important to have that stuff at your fingertips. Well, speaking to that, I know that working in the safety industry that 
um, they, they should have the SDS sheets, not only in the hard copy in the, the office or something, but there should also be job site um, that are available, you know, JSAs that are available to um, access um, if there is an issue on the job site or in a work truck. So, you know, there should always be um, a place where you can access at least a hard copy of the written programs or a smaller reader digest version, if you would, of, you know, so you guys can get an SDS sheet for the chemicals in case an emergency was to occur. But uh, that seems like that's a little bit of a gap that some companies do miss, unfortunately. But um, hopefully we, uh, by sharing this information, we can get that out there and make that more aware, right? That's right. What, that's what we're here to do. Uh, what are some ways that people can be exposed to hazardous chemicals? So chemicals can enter your body in several ways. The most common route of exposure people think of is inhalation or, you know, breathing it in. You're, you're walking and you'll intake vapors and gases. Right. Inhalation is a big risk in a workplace because there's so many chemicals we use. Uh, uh, could be in a liquid state to start out and then the liquid chemicals give off vapors that, that are inhaled. And we sometimes also use chemicals in a gaseous state. Vapors and gases are, can oftentimes be odorless, colorless, so you might not even realize that you're inhaling them uh, unless you understand the properties of a chemical. And, you know, that's just really, really important for not only the worker, but first responders. That's why first responders, you know, we would have these uh, fancy chemical, uh, you know, sniffers that would, we wouldn't walk into an area fast. We would, walk, we would go slow and, you know, would make sure we knew what we were walking into because, you know, colorless, odorless. It happens all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and another common route of exposure is absorption through, through contact with your skin or eyes. And, and people don't think about this a lot of times, but, you know, after a chemical is absorbed into the skin or gets into your eyes, it works its way into your bloodstream very quickly. Uh, from there, it can get into different organs and tissues of your body uh, and make you sick. And people kind of forget about that. They're working with powders and they forget that it's not only goes into your body, but a lot of it could be left on your, you know, exposed sleeve or something, for example, exposed to forearm rather. And then, you know, you're going about your day and the whole time that's absorbing. And depending on the temperature and the fat layer of your body and your metabolism, it could take a while. So you might, if you don't shower or have the proper, you know, emergency showers or eye washes, you could be going home later at home and get really, really sick. And then a lot of times you have to trace back as a, as a medic. Well, you know, what do you do for a living? Where were you at before this? So absorption of the body is, is a real uh, consideration that you have to think about. Yeah. And, and then other ways chemicals can enter your body include, you know, swallowing or ingestion. Even though you might not do it intentionally, you know, you can swallow chemicals. Uh, they get transferred to food if your hands are contaminated or, or, and then swallowed accidentally. And I see this all the time. I'll be walking in a maintenance department or a chemical lab and there's their brown paper lunch, right? And I'm like, uh, you really shouldn't be have that food there next to these chemicals because people forget, right? Yeah. Right. You know, you open it up and your hands, you know, you think you might have washed or people brush it off on their, on their shirt before they take a bite of their sandwich. And I, honestly, you can get chemicals and you don't even know about it uh, in that way. So you have to be, you know, very, very careful. Yeah, and then, yeah. I, and then, and then finally direct, uh, penetration is uh, when material enters your body, like through an open cut um, or skin puncher, and that could be something like a needle puncher or stepping on a nail that happened to be in the processing area of chemicals. Mm. Um, or if you have open scabs or wounds, you know, people just don't think about that, but stuff floats through the air and then it settles on the moisture of an open scab, for example, 
And depending on the potency of the chemical or the amount of open skin you have, you could be in real trouble later on. Nice, nice. Um, what are some symptoms of, um, you know, overexposure? So in many cases, overexposure to a chemical will produce an immediate symptom that you can recognize. Uh, common symptoms of overexposure include things like skin or eye irritation, difficulty breathing, dizziness, headache, nausea, and vomiting. But the thing about everything I just mentioned, unfortunately, can be a whole lot of other medical medical uh, issues that have nothing to do with what you're right. dealing with. That's why it's so important to understand for our workers and the employees understand that, hey, if, if you read the SDS before you were working with this chemical, you would know that some of the major signs of uh, exposure are, you know, skin irritation, difficulty breathing. That way you could kind of come to the conclusion, oh my gosh, you know, I'm not feeling good. And it might not be because of my hangover the other night. It might be because <laughs> I am playing with something that is making me nauseous, right? So that's why we mentioned at the very top of our, of our uh, podcast that you really have to know what you're dealing with. So you can rule out, oh, yeah, this is, that's just because, you know, I had, uh, my kid had the flu and this might be the flu. Yeah, it might not be. It might be that you're in, inhaling some pretty nasty stuff. A hundred percent. That's exactly it. And it, it also, we also, you know, as we covered, you have to be not only vigilant of, you know, where you are, but what you've done, you know, because yep. things, things may not get you right away, but looming effects will, you know, gradually take hold. Um, now that we've looked at hazards, labeling, um, how can you uh, be, or in how you can be exposed to, to chemicals, what are some general rules uh, to follow just to stay safe? Well, you know, there's so, so, excuse me, several general rules for handling chemicals. I'll, I'll highlight them real quick. Um, and this kind of goes to, to handling ball chemicals, whether they're nasty or not. You know, the first rule is to follow all the established procedures and to work precisely as you've been trained. That's why, you know, you just don't turn people loose with stuff. Uh, most good companies will have written standard operating procedures or, or, or specific ways to do things. And that's for a reason. This has all been thought out by you know, people that have, were trained and, and understood the process. So you, first rule is you have to follow the rules that you're supposed to be doing. No shortcuts, uh, things like that. Mm -hmm. You should also be cautious and plan. Think about what could go wrong and pay close attention to what you're doing while you work. And I know that's really easily said and harder to complete because you, right. you came to work today, I came to work today, I did the same little rituals, boom, boom, boom. Right. And in our home offices, it's not as bad. But when you're going to showing up for a workplace where there's all sorts of presses and things that are going to cut you, I mean, it's really easy just to fall into your workplace, but your routine, but you have to say, whoa, okay, this saw, even though I've been using it for 20 years, is still very sharp and it could do some bad things to me. So you know, be cautious, plan, you know, think about what could go wrong ahead of time. And then always use the proper PPE, of course, you know, you should inspect it carefully before each use. And that's something, again, it's human nature, we don't do, oh, yeah, these are my goggles, I'm just gonna pull them down. And, you know, you didn't realize that you had them sat down, and they had a crack in it overnight. And, you know, then you're gonna go up and use it, it's not gonna do what it's supposed to do, for example. So, mm -hmm. Uh, make sure that all the containers are properly labeled. As we discussed, we know that why now that's important. And the material is contained in an appropriate container. Um, don't use any material not contained or labeled properly. Report any damaged containers or uh, illegible labels to your supervisor right away. 
even though, for example, if it's on your workspace, your little workbench, and nobody else is supposed to be messing with it, I mean, who knows? Somebody might have took something and swapped it out because they needed that and put something right. back that wasn't there. So you can't take that for, for granted. Um, reading SDS, the labels, uh, before the chemicals, you should, again, understand the hazards and precautions. If a new chemical, if you're using solvents, for example, and they ran out of acetone, and now they're going to use methyl ethyl ketone. Oh, it's a cleaner. Well, they have a little bit different properties. So, you know, when people swap things out or, or uh, for either because there's a shortage or they're going to try something new, again, you have to understand what that chemical is all about. Um, use chemicals only and solely for what the intended purpose. And we see this all the time, people, and I've actually been guilty of using gasoline to clean because gasoline's an excellent cleaner, right? So, you know, so you do things like that, but, um, you know, all kidding aside, don't, for example, use solvents to clean your hands. Uh, gasoline, like I've done many times, like a dummy, uh, to wipe down equipment. It's just, it's, there's a reason why it's gasoline used to, you know, explode a internal combustion. <laughs> you don't want that, that kind of product on your hands when you go to have a static spark or something. Um, never eat or drink while handling chemicals. And we discussed that earlier, and it's a real concern. Uh, if your hands are contaminated, you know, it's going to somehow find your, find your, your face or your mouth um, or, or contact lenses, for example. And I think all of us are completely aware of this now with the COVID thing, right? Oh, yeah. You know, where the mask is fine, but it's like you got to be careful when you, when you travel or when you're at some other uh, place you're not used to of touching a handrail and then touching your face, your eyes. So same thing goes with chemicals. You don't want that nasty stuff to be absorbed in your eye if you're rearranging a contact or you're just scratching your lip. Um, oh, yeah. anything like that. It's hard to do, but, you know, you have to be careful about that. Um, if it is necessary to identify a chemical, you know, don't taste or smell it. I mean, honest to God, I, I see that for the, uh, I don't want to pick, I'm an old guy, so I'll pick on myself, but I like the old timers will do that. Oh, yeah. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll taste and go, oh, that's just, uh, that's just, you know, hydrocarbon. You, you no see problem. that old media too. There's a lot of TV does that. They, you know, what is that? Oh, that, yeah. Pick a th their pinky in it or whatever. Like, oh, okay, that's that's not that's not how we determine what the what the chemical is. Yeah, it's funny. So you know, the younger folks are more educated, but oh my gosh, I've seen that and they've actually done it many times. So yeah, the membership we don't do that. And also something to think about too. This also means that you should know what to do in a medical emergency. You know, it could be a coworker that's injured, overcome by chemicals. He could have done everything that we just talked about wrong, and all of a sudden he drops. Well. Mm. You know, it could be a, a personal medical thing, or it could be something he was just dealing with. So it's important for the folks that work in an area of chemicals understand, you know, what the exposures do. So you can, you know, help your, your coworker if something did like that go wrong. Um, storing chemicals properly, you know, separate incompatibles, which we'll talk about a little later. You know, store in ventilated, dry, cool areas. For the most part, these are all good things for, for you know, 90% of chemicals. And then finally, keep yourself and your work area clean. You know, and after handling any chemical, wash thoroughly with soap and water, clean the work surfaces at least once a shift so that contamination uh, risks are minimized. Uh, so, you know, after I mentioned all these things, you should be thinking to yourself, the audience, you know, think about the chemicals you use every day. Uh, which ones have the most hazards and, and you know, how, how can you minimize those risks? Exactly, a hundred percent. There's a lot to really take in there, but you know, when you're dealing with hazardous chemicals, there's there's no step that should be 
you know, not taking to make sure that you're providing this, the safest workplace for not only yourself, but your, your fellow coworkers. Uh, what are the proper procedures when handling flammable liquids uh, safely? All right, so <clears throat> flammable liquids are near and dear to my heart, spending all the time as a fireman. And, and, and I mean, all, all chemicals can be bad, but it's boy, the flammable ones in, in industrial settings seem to be cause the most obvious because uh, when something goes wrong then everybody stands back and, and sees the you know the area blow up so um, let's get let's get a little bit more specific you know and, and talk about the handling of this category uh commonly found in the workplace and it's flammable liquids as we said earlier flammable liquids can catch fire easily and burn readily and to prevent accidents with flammables some important things that we should be doing on, on all chemicals, but especially flammables, is keep the containers closed when not in use so that liquids don't spill and flammable vapors aren't released. You should also keep the flammables away from ignition sources, which you know seems like a no-brainer, right. like you know, heat, flames, and sparks, but I can't tell you how many times I've visited work sites and the people are working and they're so focused on what they're doing. And me, as I'm approaching a workbench, for example, I'm seeing sparks come from behind this guy because the guy is working at his workbench with flammables, cleaning, dipping, you know, gears, cleaning product. But the section behind him is where they're doing welding, where maintenance is in there doing welding. So you really have to step back and, you know, just because people, well, I know I should be smoking while I'm doing this or, or I know about that, but do you know, do you know what other people are doing around you? So that's, you know, that's a really important thing to, to make sure you're cognizant of. Absolutely. Avoid contact with incompatible chemicals. And, and again, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Transfer flammable liquids only to approved containers and be sure to transfer the containers bonded and the storage drum is ground. I see this all the time. I'll see somebody pouring, uh, <clears throat> taking a little bit of uh, cleaning material and they're putting it into a, a plastic Folgers coffee can uh, and then they're walking it over. So there's no bonding, there's no grounding. Any, anytime your flammable liquids moves, it creates um, static electricity. So you, know, you have to make sure you're transferring it properly into the right containers, metal. That metal secondary containment should have grounded and bonded to the first. So a lot of important things to do if your facility or your particular work tasks involve transferring flammables. Um, so again, become very familiar with the rules of safe, safe storage of flammable liquids, uh, you know, if you handle these chemicals. Absolutely, absolutely. What is the best way to store flammable liquids? Well, flammable liquids, depending upon, again, what the SDS says, they should be in an area like a, a flammable liquid cabinet, for example. And the, the cabinets are designed a certain way FM approved, UL approved, which means you can't just take, and I'll use this example I see most often, you'll see, uh, you know, gray uh, metal cabinets in, in a facility, like they might have been used in the, uh, uh, to store copy paper. Well, people in their mind, they think, you know, God bless them, they think, well, it's metal, we're going to put this in here, it's safer, so they'll put the gas cans in a metal cabinet, because it's metal in their mind, but yeah. you really have to store the flammables you know, per how, what the SDS says, you know, what the vapor pressure is, is it, is it a class one, two, three, or four um, flammable? So you have to really, again, that's what this, what we're talking about. You have to know what it is you're dealing with. And then the proper storage, a lot of times will tell you not specifically, but generally enough to head you in the right direction, how you're supposed to store those. 
Mm-hmm. And, and some of the things that uh, real quick are, uh, you know, I guess overall you should store the flammable liquids in approved storage rooms and cabinets. Storage areas must be, you know, properly ventilated to prevent buildup of flammable vapors. You should understand and follow all storage rules. Uh, if you're not sure where or how to store flammable, ask a supervisor. Don't guess. And that goes back to my example of putting things in metal cabinets because it's metal. Uh, replace the bung caps on the drum vents after uh, receiving containers of flammable liquids into storage areas. I see that a lot in the drum vents or will be open. And, and you got to remember, all those vapors are up constantly looking for an ignition source. Uh, and then, you know, grounding all the drums uh, to provide, properly prevent static electricity, uh, which, as I said earlier, results uh, very easily in fires and explosions. So just become familiar with what you've got in your facility, and uh, you should be able to, you know, mitigate any, any problems. Excellent, excellent. Um, how can you tell if chemicals are incompatible? Is there a way? There is, uh, and I can't get into it here because, you know, well, frankly, because of liability reasons, right? But I can, I can tell you, I can tell you the process that you go about about okay. it, and, you know, the, the best best way to handle incompatible chemical uh, regarding the chemical safety is is let me start with this: that severe consequences can result from mixing incompatible chemicals. I mean. You know, when you put a container back, a storage container, there's almost always residue in the outside of it, or there's always like a little liquid dripping. So even though they're in the containers, almost certainly products are going to touch or they're going to drip down into a common shelf that you have the product. So if it's incompatible, it's very important that they they stay away from each other. Um, And some of the ways we do that are some of the things that could happen is fire, explosion, Chemical reactions, you know, some of which could be very violent. Uh, chemical reactions com- incompatible can cause it to release heat. You know, splashing, splattering, uh, the degradation of chemicals uh, also can make it useless or, or dangerous, as we said. So, everything you need to know about chemical incompatibility, the best source of that is reading the SDS. And I, it seems daunting. You know, I told, said before the 16 sections. It's really not. It reads, it reads in English, it reads very common, and, and you just have to get into it. And the more you read, the more it makes sense. You're like, oh, okay, I get it now. But at first you look at it and people, you know, they, they, they snicker, well, I'm not a chemist, you know, I don't understand this. But if you read it, it, it does make sense and it tells you the important stuff. And some of the important stuffs are about chemical incompatibility is, you know, flammables and oxidizers or ignition sources, you know, flammables and oxidizers, not a good idea to put on the same shelf, for example, you know, acids and cyanide, same thing. You don't want a corrosive sitting next to a flammable, metal flammable container because, you know, the corrosive is going to eat away the gas, the container, uh, the metal that the container's in. Strong acids and alkalines, you know, concentrated acids and water, organic solvents and corrosives, and, you know, corrosives and other reactive substances. So there's, there's there's some basic ones that you kind of get to learn about after a while, like not doing, not putting them together. But if you want the absolute specific answers, you have to refer to the SDS. Excellent. Hey, as long as they know where to find the information they need, that's the key. What's the steps we should take when an emergency occurs? So again, this is close to my heart. In the event of an emergency, involving hazardous or reactive chemicals, you know, you need to be able to respond quickly and, and uh, effectively. 
for example, you should know, you know, what are the emergency phone numbers? In a lot of places, it's not 911, right? So part of what I do when I audit, I'll pick up a phone, although landlines are becoming less and less frequent because everybody has cell phones and radios and such. But an example that illustrates uh, a lot of times I'll be in a facility and there's a phone and I'll pick it up and it's not dialing 911. It might be dialing nine to get an outside line first, right? So right. are you teaching your employees that? Is there a sign that says that? Or for those of you travel globally, uh, like I did, 911 is not a thing in a good parts, good chunks of the world. It's some other uh, numbers. So, you know, you have to know what to do in an emergency for your local, local area. That's why we drill. That's why we have evacuation procedures. Um, you should also know the proper equipment shutdown procedures. If it, if it applies to you, a lot of times it is not just throwing that big lever and running because you could sometimes cause more, more trouble uh, when you're shutting down, you know, heavy electric. So you have to know what the proper equipment is that you're dealing with and, and what you're supposed to do, or even if you're supposed to do it, it might be a maintenance guy's emergency procedure that he runs around and, and shuts things down. So again, you have to know what's going on in your facility. And then uh, one of the most important part is evacuation routes and the assembly areas outside of the facility. Um, so, you know, again, I, I would like the listeners to, to stop for a second and think about what, you know, they need to do in the event of an emergency involving, you know, hazardous reactive chemicals. This should all be planned out. This shouldn't be the first time you're hearing this, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what should responders or what do responders need to know when they come to a respond to an emergency? So this is important too, because a lot of the large facilities have their own uh, response, um, you know, core or department. Because, for example, oil and gas, those facilities are so large, it's common for them to have their own private fire department and private uh, responders that will, you know, their normal job. They drop what they're doing, they run and get their response and and, and do it. But if you're and they're professionally trained and they 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 you know drill all the time. But if you're somebody that's just in the facility. You need to know what to do and what not to do, even if you're not a, you know, air quote fireman. So only trained equipment and authorized personnel should handle large spills and releases or significant emergencies involving hazardous or reactive chemicals. If you're not part of that emergency response team, you should evacuate the area for the most part and report the emergency. If you're not part of that emergency response team, you need to know emergency cleanup and disposal procedures, you should be aware of uh, the required emergency response PPE, uh, the proper use and cleanup of emergency equipment, and firefighting and first aid and other emergency measures. So a lot of the plants that commonly deal with chemical either storage or manufacturing, they have what they call HAZWOPER training, which I think, Sarge, we're going to talk about toward the end of our, of our uh, series. I can't wait. But these are guys, yeah, that, that, that's, that's fun stuff, actually, to get to be part of it. But you, these are the folks that, you know, are trained. It might be the public local fire department, but a lot of times it's, it's in-house uh, fire brigades that initially respond, and then when the professional local firefighters will, will take over, or they'll work in unison. But yeah, even if you're not a first responder, you have to understand the difference of what you should be doing and when you should be heading for that door. Excellent, excellent. Well, Andy, do you want to give the, the listeners a quick recap of what, all the great information we covered today? Sure. So just the main point, I know we talked about a lot of stuff, but the main points to remember that I'd like you folks to you know, think about or walk away from is most chemicals can be hazardous in some way. Um, 
you can avoid injuries and illnesses if you know how to safely handle all chemicals. Always wear required PPE and follow established safety procedures for your task. And lastly, you know, know what to do in the event of an emergency involving hazardous uh, reactive chemicals. Beautiful. Andy, thank you. Thank you so much once again for joining me today. Uh, could you please share with the great people uh, how they can find you if they have any more questions about hazardous chemicals or uh, where they can reach uh, just right? Uh, yeah. As well as yeah, abs yeah, absolutely. Um, you can uh, reach out to uh, Just Right Safety Group, or which we own, Eagle, uh, Eagle Manufacturing. You can find our websites. There's links to uh, contact us. Um, just right. Dot, or you, know, you go to our website, or there's, and there's there's phone numbers there, or you can contact me directly. I mean, eventually, if if uh, people that you initially reach out to can't answer it, it ends up filtering to me anyway. And again, I'm Andy Brousseau, uh, abrousseau at justright.com. Excellent. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us today. This is Sarge from Lancaster Safety. If you have any questions for Lancaster Safety regarding OSHA compliance, health and safety needs, uh, please reach out to Lancaster Safety at 888-403-6026. Uh, of course, you can always find these podcasts, funny enough, at, on Google. At, at just Google Sarge's Safety Podcast, and we pop right up. Uh, until next time, please, everybody, be safe out there and have a great week.